Greetings, salutations, and welcome back to Retrek. Joining me today, we have Captain Squee. Hello. And Admiral Elliot. Hi, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, and unfortunately, Ambassador Nicola is on assignment today. Well, well I mean, we were saying that, but I, I mean, she got some uh, Denoblian street food. It didn't agree with her. You know how it is. She, <laughs> she should realise it's not built for our stomachs. Well, yeah, luckily, luckily, Flux was working the van at the time, so he's sorting her out now, so it'll be okay. Oh, well, that's, that's fine, as long as, he, as long as he doesn't add her to his um, harem of wives that he's got. <laughs> yeah, I did warn him. And we just want to uh, welcome everybody on Cricks on Radio, and also if you've downloaded us from your podcatcher of choice. And today we're going to move on. We're getting to the end of the original run of films. We're looking at the last two of the Next Generation films. But sir, you, you've neglected to tell us. Who are you, mysterious stranger? Oh, sorry, I am Commodore Jim. As I say, the last two, which... Uh, again, kind of mixed general feelings about these ones. Before we get into each individual one, how how do you two feel about about these two entries? Elliot? Um, I think Nemesis is very underrated. Is it though? Insurrection. You either love it or hate it. Hmm. It sounds like you two are going to have an interesting discussion well, again tonight. Well, you see, what I found is that, uh, I mean, not only is it just such a shame, because the other two films uh, that we did last week, Generations and First Contact, we could have easily done now on each of them. And that's what we're kind of, we've discussed, we're going to move towards in the future doing one thing yeah. per episode because, you know, give it room to breathe. But these two, it's like, yeah, they're, they're not the best two in a row. And these, I think we could very easily fit into an hour, which we will. And I mean, it actually kind of flipped for me because I used to think Insurrection wasn't as great, which has still got its flaws. And I used to prefer um, Nemesis. But watching these two back this time, it kind of switched for me a bit. So, yeah. I was a bit the other way, I think, this time. <laughs> but we'll we'll move into them both in turn then. So first of all, and um, the year is 2375, Picard is dancing, Data is singing, and Riker is manoeuvring. It's Star Trek Insurrection. Now, this one, there's a tonal shift, I think, right from the start. Like, the opening's much less bombastic. It's this sort of slow, melodious take on the Star Trek theme, and we have this kind of idyllic... Uh, village that we see right from the beginning. It's a much gentler, slower introduction to it. And that, for me, kind of sets the tone for the whole film. But um, what what do you guys think to how this one opened? Well, the opening, I actually... Uh, it's uh, There's something which um, Patrick Stewart said in an interview which really stuck with me throughout this, is that they wanted to make it the funnier, sort of sexier one, I think he even said. And uh, I think you do see those elements in there, and I think they work. You're right, the kind of the opening is a little bit slow, uh, but you get the comedy straight from the beginning is what I notice, and then you jump into the stuff. um, Well, there's more action coming up, but yeah, I mean, I think that was maybe a purposeful thing. Maybe they could have kept a bit of action up front, though. I'm I'm sure it was deliberate after first contact. They were going for a kind of a change of pace, but... I don't really think that's what the fans wanted after how great First Contact was. We'd had, yeah. we'd had First Contact, we wanted more of the same. That's yeah. it, yeah. Well, I it's think like, uh, 
Sorry, if you've got something right, don't fix something that's not broken. <laughs> well, I think they saw what had happened with the original films and they were taking that as a bit of a template. So after the uh, bigness of kind of uh, the Wrath of Khan going into uh, Star Trek 3, if you kind of see them as one really long film, then they had the whales and they had the fun and the kind of a bit, bit more lighthearted. And I think they wanted to try and emulate that and maybe what? didn't quite reach that. What, because it was an odd number they thought they'd make a crapper movie? <laughs> well, I I think whereas it's one-on-one-off with the original films, I think it's two-on-two-off with these. Cause, well, I mean, I know you're not a fan of Generations, Elliot, but, uh, but I like those first two, and these two seem like the lesser ones of the next generation. I mean, this one for me is... It's a criticism that's often levelled at TV shows that go on to make films, that the films feel like a long episode. And this one, not only, well, it's not one long episode, it's several episodes stuck together, and I will identify them as we go through exactly okay. which ones we're borrowing from. But um, I think that's I think that said a lot about Insurrection is it's not a great movie, but it would have been a great two or three part TV episode. Well, it kind of was. It was just the episodes weren't sequential because. <laughs> The beginning that we get is the episode Who Watches the Watchers from season yes. three. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's exactly the same setup. We've got uh, the Federation on a planet essentially spying on people, hidden in a mountain. Though there's some very nice special effects with Data there where he's just like a head floating around and you get the bit where they look down and see him with like the heat vision things on so they can see him running about but the rest of them can't and like you say there's some visual comedy there where he's moving things but the the Baku can't see that he's there um so yeah there's a lot of that going on and even though I did say the opening was slower I don't dislike it I just think it wasn't what was expected and wasn't necessarily what people wanted at the time yeah, I mean, this this the kind of bit which I like more. I mean, I did like that opening. The um, well, the first bit with Data when he is running through and causing mayhem in the Baku village, and you've got then uh, it's at that stage where um, Picard and Worf go into in the shuttle. It's a, it's a little bit later on because we we well, have that long way right, and okay. then then we cut back to the Enterprise and Picard's got this weird ambassadorial thing going on where he's got to put this thing on his head and say you team chefor and all this <laughs> business but i thought that was fun i thought that was one of the better elements for me yeah i, d- I didn't mind it as an introduction for me it, it worked better for me as a gentle introduction to the cast than the ship bit in generations for example yeah. i i enjoyed this more um i like well i say i like the way wharf is reintroduced must have been purely done as a joke because in the first one we talked about how you have him on the Defiant in the Borg battle and that organically brings him over from DS9. Whereas in this one you have Picard say, Mr. Wolf, what are you doing here? And then someone literally walks up and starts talking to Picard yeah. and Wolf's just stood there going, well, actually I was, uh, we're not bothered, Wolf, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, there's no, no reason for Wolf to be there. No, but... Uh, in a way, I quite like that because the film's going, look, we know you want Worf to be there. We know you don't care really why Worf's there. We're just going to pay your lip service and that's your lot. Easier, get on with it. 
and I think that's a bit tongue-in-cheek <laughs> wink to the audience. I quite like it. Yeah. 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 I mean, it just get it. It doesn't break the pace of the thing. It sets up this sort of mystery where it's okay. Something's gone wrong with data. We're going to go find out what's wrong with data, even though they don't want Picard. So, and so then we get onto the bit you were talking about where um, they go down in the shuttle and, well, they have a bit of a sing song. Yeah, I, I mean, this this bit it, for me is just fantastic. This is the fun of this film, which kind of gets lost in a bad villain later, which I I won't kind of jump ahead too much, but. It's kind of these moments which I'm really enjoying. Like, up until this point, the film's not doing too badly. Like you say, a bit of a slow start, but it's kind of... It's got this kind of fun, okay kind of pace. Like, you know, if they'd stuck to this kind of vibe and maybe just had a better villain, <laughs> then I think it would have been okay. Because, for me, uh, Worf seeing HMS Pinafore and going, uh, yeah, well, you know, Picard says, do, do you know well, uh, do you know Gilbert yeah. Sullivan? I haven't met all the new crew members. It's just, it's beautiful. That's a good line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Wolf obviously don't want to sing. Yeah. No, and... I, li- I like the look on Michael Don's face where Picard says, come on, Mr. Wolf," and he's just got these staring daggers at him. You see, this is the, be- the best kind of thing that they do where they do something new with Data as well to- for the laughs. Because most of the time, they just seem to be retreading the same thing of like, oh, he's got emotions, but he's not used to them. And that just seems to be the running one joke they use in all these films. Whereas with this, it's like he, because his programming's broken, he's accessing the song, but he's not aware of it. It's It just seems to be something new they can do with him. So, yeah, they use like the music as a way of kind of almost triggering like a subliminal memory in him to get him out of like this fugue state that he's in, which in a way kind of ties into something that happens towards the end of Nemesis, but we'll we'll get there in due course. So my favourite bit, though, in that sequence is where you have the bouncing dot, like the Mickey Mouse ears on the, on the yeah. words on screen. So yeah. you can follow it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's so you can join it. It's the karaoke version. Yeah, exactly, and it's a good, it's a good gag. They, they missed the trick though. They should have made it a com badge, like a little com badge <laughs> dancing on the words. That'd have been, that'd have been pretty good. But the only issue I have here is we're talking about that scene as three, you know, died in the wall trekkies. Again, I know we, we've kind of touched on this a few times, where a general audience seeing that. I, I don't know what they would make of it. I think you have to have you have to have a familiarity and you have to have a fondness for those characters for that scene to work. You think? I mean, I think you can get from quite early on that Data's an android, like Wolf's obviously, just the way he looks and talks, I think you can tell. I think most people know what a Klingon is. I, I don't know. I, I think that would be... Yeah, maybe so. Um, we'll, we'll have to find someone who's not a Trekkie and make them watch Star Trek. This could be a whole nother podcast. Make them watch here. that one. I mean, that's just uh, me. Making them watch either of these two, I think, is, you know, no, non No, we make them watch every single one. We lock them in a room and we start them with the first one. Let them out let in a few out. months' time. Yeah, let them out in a few months' time. You've watched 700 episodes. How do you feel? No, you cannot call ah! the police. <laughs> so... We we go through all this rigmarole and they 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 get data back and Worf uses the magic tricorn as zapper and whatnot and the mystery then seems to be why is data done it and we find out it's because he didn't have his emotion chip but his ethics chip kicked in 
So he was acting purely from an ethical standpoint. I do love that moment, which is, um, I seem to be missing some memory engrams. Ah, there they are when they're in uh, Geordie's hand. So there's no, Yeah, that's pretty good. Again, like, I think most of the comedy moments really work. In yeah, fact, there is, there's a lightness of touch to it, which is, which is nice. You're selling me on this one, actually. Well, you know, if they just had some plot, or, you know, or a better baddie, I think all, all it needs is a good baddie. Yeah, they, they try twice with the baddies, don't they? They have the bad admiral, and they have, Oscar winner F. Murray Abraham, who's wasted largely in this role, yeah. but um, but I, I do quite like the mystery, and I like the the ethical dilemma that comes up because it. Well, we'll push on a little bit in the plot then, so it it all transpires that there's some kind of conspiracy, some kind of cover up going on, and there's a great sequence where they find a hollow ship um, in the water. Yes, and uh, you've got the uh, burgeoning uh, romance between Picard and uh, uh, the lady who's um, Aaron. She's called like Ange or something. A N J I, I think it is. So Angie and uh, Angie. <laughs> I'm sure it's pronounced more exotically than that, but um, Angie'll do for our purposes. But it was. A, I thought that was really good. You know, they had a really nice uh, thing working with that, and straight from the beginning, that felt like a really nice relationship. And there was just something about the visual when they have got uh, Picard and Data rowing with her sitting on the boat. It, it just looks a very pretty film as well as the other thing. Yeah, that's true. It's yeah. It, it does look nice. Maybe this was where Patrick Stewart were going. It's sexy. Agriculture is sexy. <laughs> but the, going back to the um, the Hollership, that's taken from the Next Generation season seven episode Homeward, okay. where the plan basically is we're going to relocate these people, but we're going to do so in a way they don't know they're being relocated by sticking them on a holodeck with Wolf's in, brother. Wolf's brother, yeah. So that's, you know, again, that's borrowed from another episode. Um, <laughs> so, it, you know, once once is an accident, twice is coincidence. Well, I, I mean, look, in fairness, the whole bit from the beginning, yes, that is pretty much whole stock taken from Who Watches the Watchers. That, that, that's a big mm. element taken. I'd say using a bit of tech you've had in a previous episode. It's like saying the uh, Generations is nicked off... Um, any other episode of Next Generation because it's got holodeck in it. That's just a bit of technology. I, I... It's a bit of technology, but it's used... Oh, yeah, okay, exactly maybe a solution. Yeah, okay. It's <laughs> what they do there. So, all right, all Go right, on, okay. we'll, we'll concede that then. Okay. No, <laughs> yeah, I was going to concede so, your point, actually. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll agree to, to concede each other's points then for now. <laughs> But then this leads to, we then sort of find out a bit more about the the background plotting that's been going on, don't we? So the, the Admiral's in cahoots with, um, is he called Ruafo, the, the bad guy that you're so yeah. fond of? Yeah, and uh, again, I mean, the, the, the Admiral is at least a little bit kind of, you know, it, it's a nice idea of the enemy from within. And if they maybe had made it a bit more of that, maybe that would have been interesting, like the Federation fighting with itself. So... Here's Picard and the, the whole crew of the Enterprise trying to do the right thing and Data, you know, on the forefront of that. And there is an Admiral who's, you know, and Starfleet at large who's trying to do the wrong thing. That that was a really nice 
I thought thing. But it's it's when you do get to the faced stretched aliens that it just loses me. That just those are the I don't feel any compulsion. I think they're very large and a very uh, pantomime esque. Uh, but they are, yeah, yeah. There's that bit where uh, Ruafo sort of screams and he goes ah, and it's just, oh, it's oh, just rubbish. Painful to watch. And again, this is an Oscar-winning actor. He is very good, but it's great. It, yeah. it, it doesn't really sell it. I don't suppose. Um, Given much so, to sell. So while we've got all this conspiracy and everything going on with the Admiral, we've got all these sort of character moments where the, the other main thread of the film is this idea of kind of a fountain of youth thing and people getting reinvigorated. Yeah. And I quite like the Troy and Riker. I like the the way that's kind of yes. rekindled. Yeah. And, true. you know, the bit where he, he shaves and uh, he's as smooth as an android's bottom and all this stuff. And Data um, then with a the payoff to that joke of like feeling his face at the end of the scene and just going, yeah. nah, just shaking his head. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> the one thing, though, that always kind of jumps out at me is um, Troy says, I've never kissed you with a beard, which may be true. But she has kissed his identical transporter clone, who also has a beard. Okay, okay, look, look, you, you were saying about getting into the weeds as, as Trekkies and, like, the uh, the casual viewers. I think if you go into that minutiae... <laughs> no, no, I, I'm not saying it's, um, it's a continuity error or anything. I'm just thinking, if I was Will Riker, I'd be thinking, yeah, yeah, but you've kissed my identical twin oh, transporter clone. So you think there's I'd, some clone jealousy here? Yeah, I'd have a little pang of jealousy there. I'd be like, hmm, yeah. Oh, you didn't mind Did his you... beard? Yeah, exactly. You were all right with that, weren't you? So, <laughs> oh, I'd love that... it if he suddenly went very northern at that moment as well. Ah, you were all right with that, weren't you? Well, that's, see, that's the thing. I feel like with Jodie Whittaker being Doctor Who now, she's opening doors for us in science fiction. <laughs> We can get we can get a northern character on the Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, true, true. Um, yeah, no, I, I think the romance between them is nicely put in. I do feel a bit like uh, it just in the whole timeline of it, it's sort of a um, a something and nothing. That whole idea they had at the end of Next Generation, where you had Worf going out with uh, Troy, they had in a couple yeah, episodes was... and just. It seemed like it, they were, were expecting to go somewhere with that and then change their minds drastically. Yeah, it, it was weird. It was like, when shall we start this new romantic story? Oh, do last third of season seven? <laughs> yes. Shall we we'll start an ongoing story there? Yeah, last two episodes, I think it was. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll, we'll shoehorn that in and that'll be absolutely fine. Will we continue um, into the movies? I can't see why we would. <laughs> No, let's, we'll ship him off to Deep Space Nine and he can get married to Dax. That'll and we'll just forget all about it. And we'll have just an in oblique fact, reference into it in the third film, this film, at the end. That would have been even better. Instead of the reference to Tom Riker, Worf should have said, well, she has kissed me with a beard. <laughs> and just give, given Riker a bit of a look like... I don't know why I'm I'm ragging on Riker this time. I'm, oh, actually, I have a bit more to say about him later on, so never mind. You know, there um, is a... I, 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 sorry to interrupt, but uh, and maybe I shouldn't uh, give a shout-out to the opposition, but they're lovely guys. Uh, there is actually a podcast called Riker's Beard, which is rather lovely. Cool. I'll so give that one a try. <laughs> his beard's got his very own podcast as well. Well, there's a... Um, 
there's a thing, isn't there, that they call it in TV. When a TV show goes from being really bad or mediocre to being good, uh, they call it growing the beard, kind of the opposite <laughs> of jumping the shark. <laughs> I, I, I think I had... Did they say that on uh, Star Trek The Next Conversation? They might do. I don't. I don't know. I, I read it on TV tropes. I think. Okay. Oh, look okay. at this. We're giving a shout out to all these things. If only they were sponsoring us, we'd be. We'd yeah. Be it just, just as long as these other podcasts give us no shout out back. Yeah. <laughs> um, so another bit that I like when they're going on about the you know the things that are making them feel young blah blah blah. There's a bit where Worf's got the big spot, and um, they say, "What's that?" And he goes, "It is a gorge." And the reason I enjoy this is because whenever my wife gets a spot or something, she can get a little bit paranoid and be like, oh, God, what is it? What is it? And she'll be Googling, trying to find it out. And I always look at it and go, oh, it's a gotch. <laughs> and she, to this day, she doesn't know where I've got this gotch thing from. And she always panics and goes, oh, what's gotch? And I'm like, oh, you don't want to have one of them. So, so I quite enjoy that. Yeah, again, it's, it's all these comedy moments work beautifully. Like, there's there's nothing wrong with the comedy in this film. The dancing with Picard, uh, because it's, oh, yeah. a, again, it seems in the very very much the same vein. He he asks for some music, and it, it plays some classical, I think, it is, and he goes, uh, "No, no, something sexy, maybe a nice salsa." <laughs> and he goes, "Yeah, that's it." And he does a little bit of a boogie, and it just it's it's so refreshing and light and and crisp and then just that snap where he looks in the mirror and he realizes what's happened and his just face just falls it's a wonderful bit of classical acting by uh, patrick stewart and it leads perfectly into why what's happening here he he's, he's figured it out it's it's that that bit's so nicely done yeah it's good because then it goes to he goes down to the planet doesn't he and he, he says how old are you and that's when you you start to get the backstory and everything that's um that's gone on on the planet and everything. The next sort of major movement, I suppose, is where you get another really good, well-acted scene with Patrick Stewart where he has the confrontation with the Admiral and he makes sort of an impassioned speech about mm. uh, forced relocation and everything. And that that really channels kind of Picard at his best. It, it sort of reminds me of some of the speeches he made in the show, like in Measure of a Man, where he's speaking out for Data's rights and um, The First Duty, where he's berating Wesley for lying and whatnot. And I think that that is a really, really strong character moment for him. After we get the, the confrontation with Picard and the Admiral and everything, I mean, I think Picard's right on this one, but you can kind of see where the other side's coming from and... You know, they, they make the argument that they're not indigenous to the planet and everything. So it's one of them great, meaty sort of Star Trek dilemmas where you can you can see both sides to it. I mean, obviously, the viewer, I feel, does side with Picard, but it, it's well, not straight. Well, side with Picard. Yeah, of course. But it, what I'm saying is it's not a straight-up black and white, right and wrong. It's interesting. It's good, which is what good science fiction and good Star Trek should be is give you something to to ponder over a little bit. Uh, well, I mean, I just really like this scene because I, I think the guy who's playing the Admiral is doing a really good job. I think, he again, he's a stronger villain, I think, in this. Uh, you know, like you say, we've got an Oscar winner in the other role. It should be great, but I think it's just written very cheesy and very a bit too large. And uh, you can't blame an actor for acting when they're given something, but it's just... 
he's given these very over-the-top lines, whereas in this, it's a lot more kind of... Uh, feels a bit more sinister, but from a... I don't know, more real kind of point of view. So, like, he is someone who's in a military position who has been given this planet where this kind of gifts here and it can be given to loads of people. And he's saying, it's like, you know, who would, who on earth would want to live here? And then Picard just can slam straight in with, well, the Baku would. He's got the, yeah. the perfect answer. And, like, then how many people does it take? And it does cross over as Star Trek does so wonderfully at its best with real world events where the many take from the few. What what is theirs, and it challenges all that, and that's a much stronger Star Trek position than uh, stretching your face a bit. I mean, plastic surgery yeah. basically would seem to very. I yeah. don't know who, why we care about that. Because uh, unfortunately, as you say, the admiral's probably the more interesting of the two villains, and he's round about this point disposed of by having yeah. his face stretched and. Oh yeah. Then we're just left with Ruafo and everything. That's quite a nice effect they do on that, actually. It's one of the better CGI effects. I think a lot of the CGI hasn't actually lasted very well from Insurrection. No, there's a lot of... I mean, we do get kind of into the space battle around this point as well. And, you know, it's good that you get a lot more of the Enterprise-E in this film than you did in First Contact. Well, the thing with this film, it's all CGI, which seems That's... silly to spend all the money and all the time designing a model, building a physical studio model, and then used it for one movie. Yeah, it's the thing is with 20, oh, I was going to say 2018 eyes, but it's 2019 eyes now, isn't it? Happy when you look back, that CGI has dated. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean this is what I was saying, I think, uh, last week. It's uh, CGI from that period is the same thing as the kind of wobbly sets and the. Uh, bad special effects of old. I think CGI is what we now look back on and going, oh God, that looks so dated, you know, from TV shows from, yeah, 10 or 20 years ago. Yeah, it really does. I mean, the good thing about it is it allows these space sequences to be more dynamic. You can have the ships moving around, you can get camera angles that you couldn't with a model. Uh, But the trade-off of that is it just doesn't look as good. And... While we're on the space battle, this is another bit where I'm going to be slamming Riker a little bit. Um, oh. So you know what I'm going to say. The bit where he says, <laughs> give me manual. And what for all this world is a Commodore C64 joystick pops out of a console. <laughs> and it, yeah. he grabs it. Yeah. And it, he has to pull the trigger to make the Enterprise accelerate. I mean, this is ludicrous. And, and if they could do that all the way along, why don't they always operate the Enterprise oh, it, by it a joystick? Is, it's shockingly bad. It's just... it, And I get the sense, you know, Freaks directed this one. So he must have thought this is going to be a real hero moment for Riker. Give me manual. Do you, do you think... Yeah, I've, I've run out of quarters. I need to put another coin in the machine to make it go. Oh, no, it's horrible. No, no. A, cu- a couple of things with this. One is, if they could do that, why not just do that all the time? If they could always, if that's, if it's that easy to operate the Enterprise from a joystick, just do that. Uh, and secondly, I don't know. I mean, does Riker or does Riker does Frakes get to make those decisions as director, or is that kind of like? already said that that's in the script that you know manual um, override and that's what is I bet, I bet he can make them sort of decisions as a director 
Well, if it's in the script and the script set, he may not have been able to change it. Um, But then he could have directed it better. He could could have said to the props department, you know, can we we get something that looks a little bit cooler? Yeah, Um, no, you're right. I want I want an afterburner machine. I want the full on thing. But um, yeah, so that bit's fun. And while... <laughs> and, it, and he's kind of got that uh, trill woman who's kind of like just going just there to go <gasps> and look kind of impressed by him. Basically, it's just uh, that seemed very cheesy to me. Yeah, and because <laughs> Riker's basically the only one left on the ship, isn't he? Of the oh no, Jody's there. No, is Jody down on the planet at this point? No, he's on the ship. It's because he, he, he yeah. ejects the warp car. And um, oh, and the manoeuvre where they say we're going to do the Riker manoeuvre, and he says, if it works, yeah, um, that bit, that the Riker manoeuvre that he does there, if you watch the DS9 episode, Vortex, Odo does exactly the same thing with a runabout in a Vortex, but, you know, I'm not going to keep saying that this film borrows things from other other episodes. Um, um, James, just 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 for my own uh, my own edification, could you say the name of the security officer from uh, Deep Space Nine again? Odo. Oh, yeah, oh, you said it so much better the first. Odo. That was oh, <laughs> I'm enjoying the Northern uh, Trek speak. I, I love this. Well, it's good thing you're here to translate because um, I know that um, I know, I know that uh, some of our American cousins have trouble with the Yorkshire accent. There was the whole Indusfield <laughs> thing, wasn't there? So I'm really digging it. It's like it's it's like watching Star Trek all over again with a Northern spin. Udo, I like it. I, I, I have had a bit of a bout of sinusitis re- recently as well, so I'm probably Udo a bit more than I would do normally. Does that tie up the Northern? <laughs> so. And another thing that this <laughs> this film borrows from an episode is the trick that Picard uses on Ruafo, uh, where he makes him think he's on the holodeck, but he's not really on the holodeck. He's actually on the holodeck ship, uh, but he makes him think he's deployed the thing and blah, 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 blah. That's from the episode Ship on a Bottle that Moriarty plays that trick on Picard. Yeah. Yes, so, yeah. you know, it, so many of the beats of this story are just taken from other parts. And th- that kind of brings us sort of to the end of the film where you have what's become like the requisite action sequence and you get Picard versus Ruafo on this, um, the array where they're uh, trying to suck the stuff out of the planet. And you get that silly bit where Picard goes, oh, you can't discharge a, a laser on here because it'll kill everyone, but I will. <laughs> and it's a bit... Yeah, I think they just want to. I think they wanted Picard to be actiony in this one. I think that was definitely a drive. Yeah, I think so. He's even like rocking a vest, like Bruce Willis style in in the last one as well, First Contact and this one. He's obviously got a bit of a a thing for Die Hard at this stage. <laughs> one more technical nitpick as well here, which this it, it's a cool sequence. It looks really cool where Picard's on the array. The Enterprise flies down through the array and beams him up. They could have beamed him up from miles away. They don't need to do a flyover of the thing just as it's exploding. It could be range given the rings and the things coming off the particles and the... I'll give them that. And the Uh, the warp car, so low on energy. Yeah. 
And Riker's probably got to press a different button to use the transporter, exactly. actually. So. He might have to have a, um Xbox controller to do that, which he doesn't yeah. have, all right? <laughs> That's it. He's, he's got one hand on his joystick and the other hand on whoa, the whoa, transporter. Whoa, 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 family show, family show. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, t- one, one thing I do like about that scene is, though, it is Worf when he's... Uh, He's on the Baku ship and they're going past and it's like, he wouldn't, yes, he would. And he just, he, he's laying back all pimp-like, you know. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's quite a nice ending. Like you said, the call back to the the romance, whereas I've got 93,000 holidays that I'm due to take. <laughs> and I think I'll come here. Well, they're, they're, they're... Re- Sorry, go on. Do you reckon he did, or do you reckon he was just buttering her, buttering her up there, and he was just like, "I have no intention of coming back to see this woman." Do you think it's James Bonding hit her? Yeah, that's it. Well, he hadn't killed. She didn't have a husband that he could kill, did he? <laughs> she might have done in the past. <laughs> now, I, I, yeah, I mean, it does track that Picard never takes any holiday. Yeah, it well, does. it does. We, we already know because there's been an episode of Next Generation, Captain Soliday. Yeah, but and then it was because he doesn't take holiday. Well. But wasn't he kind of like pushed to do that? He was forced to do it. Yeah, Riker because was he, like, "I'm, I'm going to make you do it," and all yeah, this because he hasn't taken his holiday. I, I got the impression of. So I think that kind of checks. Uh, the two yeah. things, two things which I kind of wanted to pick up quickly. One thing was with the Elliot. Now we've got him back on the line. Is uh, as our resident ship expert, uh, how nice was it for you to actually finally see the captain's yacht, which has been on schematics and mentioned in episodes, I think. And yeah. it's it's always alluded to that that's yeah. there, but we never see it until now. Yeah, I, I liked it. They were meant to do it in the next generation, but uh, budget wouldn't allow them. Yeah. It was written in a couple of times for the next generation, and budget just wouldn't. I've seen uh, models of the next of the Enterprise stays Captain's Yacht, and yeah. the ease is much nicer. Well, I think it's it's worth mentioning, because uh, on a lot of these things, like with the saucer separation, which we first see in Next Generation, that was always mm. on the uh, schematics and in the plans, basically, uh, for the original Enterprise. In the original TV show, they talked yeah. about doing saucer separation. Yeah. Never did it because of budget. Yeah, and they here actually we... do it in Star Trek Continues. Yeah, and in the same thing here in... Uh, in the Enterprise E, it was always on the Enterprise D on the schematics and talked about, uh, you know, as you say, it was written into episodes to have this captain's yacht, which was on the front of the source section. But we now finally see it. So I love it when they get payoffs like that. It's a bit like the aerial shuttle in uh, Voyager. We never got to see that used, but we know it's there. Well, they didn't need it because they had a limitless supply of regular shuttles in Voyager, which was a bit crazy. And Delta players. Hey, and look, flyers we'll get to on torpedoes. We'll get to Voyager in about another twenty years. Come on. <laughs> oh, we won't. That's when we call it a day. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I, will, I will happily talk about Voyager. Nicola will fight you on that one. She's yeah. a big fan. So, any last thoughts on Insurrection then before we move on? Uh, it's an enjoyable, enjoyable watch. Boring in parts, good fun in parts, a good comedy. But it's not a great movie. Squee, anything different? Well, other than what I've said before about, like, you know, I really enjoyed the comedy and could have done with a better uh, bad guy. 
or maybe the Admiral's role beefed up in a repla- replacement of the other one. Uh, I just wanted to give a quick shout out also to um, to Geordie in this one, uh, to LeVar Burton. I thought the bits where he does have to play it with his eyes and Geordie uh, actually gets his vision back. That was a really nice moment, a really nice beat. And he kind of like, uh, there was a nice line where he gets to say it's, you know, I couldn't look another sunset knowing what it cost these people. I, I thought that was a nice little bit. So yeah, that's it just good. It, and... it, it exemplifies how this film is peppered with some lovely moments, just doesn't come together. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's one, it's nice and easy. I can put it on, I can watch it, but I find it very difficult to feel really passionately about this film one way or the other. Um, and I think most of the good ideas in it have been done better in other episodes, but for what it is, it's fine. Um, but that the reception that it got, which was kind of lukewarm, led into a bit of a change of direction, which we'll, we'll move on to. So for the next film, the year is 2379. Picard is seen double, the Romulans are plotting, and the Enterprise has got a Jeep. It's Star Trek Nemesis. <laughs> so this one then, as I say, they went for a bit of a, a change in direction, like, they they brought in a writer and a director that didn't have previous Trek experience because they wanted to get a different flavour and make it more filmic and um, all this business. And I personally don't think that it really worked. But um, Squee, what are your initial thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, it's been famously said that the guy just didn't, really well you said didn't know about star trek and didn't really care to he got upset because they wouldn't do stuff which was completely out of character for the characters and they sort of had to compromise down to what we see which is still quite a lot out of character of the characters in quite a few scenes uh he he didn't like the fact they had to reuse sets because he wanted brand new sets but they're going no that's that's the enterprise you have to use those sets it's like i don't know why he took up this job when he didn't want to do all this stuff, and I think it plays out because well, there there are some nice moments, but it just, geez, the cohesion doesn't feel like it's there. Elliot, have you got a bit of well, a different take? I went to see this movie on Boxing Day when it came out, and I came out and I thoroughly enjoyed the movie at the time. When you say this about the director and the writer, yeah, you can see that, and I really can't understand why anybody would take on a project such as Star Trek without looking at the fastback catalogue that we've got to work with. It, it makes no sense. And you're right, there's things out of character, but it was a good action movie. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is, like you say, it's one of those things. I think if you're going to take on a Star Trek film, you have to respect the history of it. It's not something you can just walk in as a journeyman director uh, and come in, do your job and go home. You've got to... You've got to collaborate a little bit, especially with people who've been playing these characters at this point for, what, over 10 years? And they need to respect that a little bit more. And, I mean, for me... I'm trying to remember what year... What year did Nemesis come out? um, Nemesis will have been... Oh, gosh, now you're putting me on the spots. Around 2000, will it have been? Are you chat? I'll look it up. It's a bit later, I think. You you guys talk... Yeah, they've got to have been, I, I was thinking, the close to 15 years. Probably, yeah. Um, 2002. So, there we go. Yeah. So, yeah, 
15 years, more or less, bang on. Um, and, you know, the fact is that those actors know those characters at that stage. And to come in, like Squee said, and, you know, say, to ignore the actors when they're saying, I think we should do this, that and the other, it's it, it, it's folly, really. It's a silly thing to do. And you need to respect that a little bit more. But we'll we'll pick up some points as we go through where they are at a character. But in its favour, um, we talked about the CGI in the last film. I think the CGI has improved a lot here. And you get that. It, it's quite an amazing opening shot where we zoom in through the Romulan star system and we go down to Romulus and we see the Romulan Senate. Uh, which is a shot that they reuse in later DS9 episodes and things as well. Um, ah, no, uh, Enterprise episodes, sorry, DS9 had finished its run by this point. And the first person we see, this Romulan senator, do you guys realise who that was? Well, it's another Jim, isn't it? Jim it from is, Neighbours. It's Jim from Neighbours, <laughs> who must have a fantastic agent. <laughs> yes. He's been in so many things. He's in Indiana Jones, he's in 24, which is really cool because he's called Jim in 24, like President Palmer <laughs> goes. No, it's true, it's season two, President Palmer's on the phone, he goes, I'm just going to call Jim, and he goes, hi Jim, and then it cuts, and it's Jim, and I'm like, go on. <laughs> now, for, just for, for anyone around the world who isn't familiar with uh, with Neighbours, it's an Australian soap opera. And it's been a breeding ground for actually a lot of talent. Uh, you've got Jason Donovan. Um, yep. You've got uh, Kylie Minogue. Yeah. Uh, so many great stars have actually come out. Guy Pearce. Guy Pearce, yeah. Um, so, so many uh, actors known worldwide. And this guy, uh, Jim, was the uh, dad in one of the families, the, the yeah. main family, the Robinsons. And, and he, he died of a heart attack, and it was some great heart attack acting because that man went red, and he was like, so many uh, absolutely great. And know? then he did that good a heart attack that when they killed him off in Ugly Betty, they killed him with a heart attack again. They were obviously like, we need to see that. <laughs> well, do you, do you know what the, the other wonderful timing of this is? Just uh, of, well, a few weeks ago as this episode comes out, uh, he's just returned to Neighbours for the first time since his heart attack death in a Christmas bauble appearing as a vision to his son, Paul. Oh. Well, there you go. Um, is, that, <laughs> is that currently available to stream somewhere? So I'm going to have to check that out. If you go to Five On Demand, just skip to the right bit. Don't try and watch the episode. It's unwatchable. Oh, I, no. I mean, but... Uh, uh, but <laughs> and even his cameo is pretty weird. But uh, yeah, at the beginning of the episode, uh, Paul from Neighbours gets given a Christmas bauble and he hangs it off the dashboard of his car while he goes to check on this person who he can't remember whether or not he he killed so he's trying to he's, he's going to a place where it would be buried if he is there and while he's on the way there he's been thinking about his dad and then suddenly his dad uh, jim from neighbors appears in the bauble <laughs> and it's when he's looking at that bauble that he realizes it's not real and he's in the nexus and then he goes off to to find captain kirk to get out and it all comes so, around absolutely so we got a bit sidetracked with Jim there. <laughs> you think? So you, you get this cool sort of uh, virusy thing that kills everybody. And then when we go back to the Enterprise, uh, it's Riker and Troy getting married. So we've got a bit of continuity from the previous film. 
Yeah. They resumed the relationship and now they're getting married. But that's where the continuity ends because bizarrely we've got Wesley Crusher in this scene um, with no explanation as to how he's returned. Yeah, I don't mind that though. I mean, like you've got a wedding, so they've they've put him back in. You know, he's he's come from his other world where he's at. The only thing which is really weird is there's a deleted scene where he says he's just come from a ship which he's working on, or you know, or something yeah. like this. That I mean, I'm glad they cut that because that makes no sense. Because last time we saw him, he went off with the traveler to go to another yeah. plane of existence. Uh, and fine, okay, he's come back uh, to corporeal form. To be at a wedding of a friend, I, I, I can buy that. But the idea that he's suddenly working back in Starfleet again... I can buy that more than Troy inviting her ex-boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're friends now, and, come on. And that's the other thing. Worf, again, I'm sorry to harp on about reasons why Worf's there. But <laughs> this is a mission where they have to go to Romulus because there's a new Romulan preator. That would be exactly the sort of thing where the Klingon ambassador, which is what Worf was at the end of DS9, that would be exactly the kind of thing that the Klingon ambassador would go to. But instead, they just go, nah, forget about that. He's just on the ship again. And this, Yeah, yeah he's back as a Starfleet officer. This is what I mean about not respecting what's gone before. It's like it, it would have been easy just to tweak the script. Everybody would have been fine with it. But no, we... We just have him back there for no reason. And I think what what it does is it requires the audience um, to kind of keep up and go, well, he must have rejoined Starfleet and he must have done this and he must have done that. And I think the film's doing something wrong if it's making the audience fill in that many blanks, you know. It, it, it's just a bit lazy in my book. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's also... I mean, there's lots of that, though. And it's not even just that it's requiring the audience to fill in the blanks. It's requiring the audience to write something which happened in between in our own heads. And, I mean, right down to the detail of uh, Worf's the one who's got a hangover from Romulan Ale. The Klingons, which have always been written as the most hardy of drinkers, they drink Klingon blood wine, which is meant to be the, you know, toughest stuff. And he's the one with a hangover. I, I, I know they're trying to play that for the extra comedy, but it just yeah. it's just those little details which just take you out of that world. And even I think as a casual viewer, I like I wouldn't mind. I don't mind when they uh, do what they've done on Dog Two recently of stripping back some of the uh, past, not mentioning you know the, the old baddies and all that, so that any new viewer can enjoy it. But it doesn't really do that either. I, I don't think any of the changes they make help a new viewer really either. No, I don't think they do. It's the worst of both worlds. It's like the guy's coming, you know, is aware, right, we have to have this character, this character, this character, but has not done the homework on who they are, how they all relate to each other. Um, But we get into the the meat of the plot then. So it starts off again with a bit of a mystery, and it's these positronic signatures, and it leads to them darting around on this planet and... Suddenly Picard's like a petrol head all of a sudden is, I want to take the Jeep out. And you, where's yeah. this come from, you know? It's, it just seems now, to me a bit out of character for Picard. To be fair, the Jeep makes sense, and it makes sense that they haven't, and they should have had it before, something to get around on planets, instead of the, they get being down and they've got to walk everywhere. Well, you've been to the right place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and but... It, 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 to me, it made sense having a Jeep. 
it's lucky though that in the seven years and three films up to this point, they've never been accosted by a gang of jeep riding enemies. But the one time they take a jeep <laughs> is the time that this happens. Well, you know, the, the 24th century is a big time for jeeps. <laughs> like, there's a big resurgence around this yeah. time. What What did you guys think to be for then? Because that, you know, obviously that's what they find on the planet is the bits of data and it's another well, soon type android. Elliot? It leaves an opening for data, doesn't it, after, later, which we'll get to. Yeah, it, that's um, how it feels to me. It's a plot device to do but, that. How how B four dumped there by the Romulans as we find out? I think it's a bit iffy the whole thing. How did they get hold of it? Yeah, that's never explored. And also, why cut it into several different pieces and bury it if all you need to do is get them there to find it? Yeah, you could just leave it in one piece. It doesn't. Yeah. It well, it give, it, give Picard a, it give Picard a reason to drive about and need a jeep well, because that's it was it. spread around. It's almost like they wanted an action sequence early in the film and the Romulans obliged by hiding this thing all over the place. And I'm just not sure what, apart from being conveniently there later, I'm not sure what before really gives to the plot. I mean, this is the... The plot was just too far all over the place. You've got the one kind of uh, storyline which I think you know you logically should have been following, which is Shinzon and his relationship with Picard, yeah. which gets lost in all this guff, which could just be cut out. Like it's a long and film the, as it is, you you could cut a little bit. I think what they're trying to do is to have Picard and Data experiencing something and these parallel journeys that they're on, but they take it too far with the. You know, Picard's got a double, so Data needs a double. And it's, no, he doesn't. You know, yeah. it, it it wasn't necessary to have both of those things. And if you're going to do it, they should have used Law, who was already established in, we've already got an evil Data, so yeah, bring that back. Oh, and could you imagine Law working with Shinzon? You'd have such a more powerful kind of, like, uh, base for, drive for this film. It would have been much, much better. Um, so, yeah, Shinzon then turns out that he's a clone of Picard and... Um... Whoa, 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 sir, sir, sir. We can't Sorry. glaze over Shinzon. Who... We, we'd spent five minutes on Jim from Neighbours. We're not going to spend a few minutes on <laughs> who plays Shinzon. It's um, Tom Hardy. Yes, who, who, like, who was so disappointed with the box office for this film. He felt suicidal after this. This, <laughs> this was meant to be... I suppose that's what happens when... When you release a movie against Lord of the Rings. Well, that's worth pointing out at this stage is that the whole marketing strategy, such as it was for this film, was, right, well, Lord of the Rings is going to be massive. If everybody has seen Lord of the Rings or all the screens are full, maybe they'll come and see Star Trek. Well, and the, that was yeah. that was their plan. thing is, though, I think Star Trek is big enough that it should have been a home run that if you're releasing a Star Trek film, like, okay, yes, everyone's going to see Lord of the Rings first. It's the big flash thing at the moment. But everyone's going to see Trek afterwards because it's Star Trek and everyone loves Star Trek and it's got such a loyal fan base. You have to really... Um, I was thinking of a phrase which is a bit more family-friendly than um, anger the pooch, we'll say. And I think everyone knows yeah. what I'm going for there. Uh, to, to do something which 
Trekkies don't want to see that much. And Tom Hardy was banking this as being his big breakthrough movie. This was his, you know, he's a young actor at the time. This was meant to be his big break. And that's why it kind of really got him that it it did so poorly. You know, he thought this was going to be his big start. He is good. You know, I I do think he gives a good performance in this film. And what he's been asked to do is quite difficult. You know, it's you've got a kind of mimic Patrick Stewart, and but you've got to be the villain. And, you know, he was a very young man at the time, and you've got to go toe-to-toe with one of the best actors in the world, and you've got to bring an equal amount of gravitas as this character that's been established for that many years. And I think he makes a good go of it, you know. But... As I say, the the box office didn't... I think it did unfairly badly at the box office because I don't think it's terrible, but um, it it was troubled, I think. He is at his best in this, actually, when he is going toe-to-toe with with the likes of uh, Patrick Stewart and with the Viceroy. And when, when he is talking to these people and giving these great speeches, he's very good. It's when it gets the bit where he starts kind of melting a little bit, <laughs> when when his uh, DNA starts breaking down. I think that's when it just, it, it loses me, but not because of him, because of the, 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 the writing later on it for him. I mean, I remember when this came out, one of the things they said was, and they say this for every Star Trek film, but they always say, you know, the villain in this one is the best villain we've had since Khan. And, you know, I think they put a lot of stock in Tom Hardy and in the character and in uh, the the setup and everything. But like you say, I think it does lose something. It becomes less effectual as a villain as the film goes on. And that does detract from it because you do need someone who's a match for Picard. And surely that was the whole idea of making him a clone was that this would be, well, pardon the pun, but this would be his nemesis. You know, it, it's meant to be that that strong uh, um, correlation between them, and it, it doesn't quite nail it, unfortunately. One other thing I really don't like a plot element in this is um, the way he has this fixation on Deanna, and you have this sequence where it's basically like sort of a psychic rape scene, effectively. The entire reason for this seems to be, well, it serves two purposes. One, it's to motivate a fight between Riker and the Viceroy later on. And two, it's so that she can use the psychic bond she's got to find the ship when it's cloaked. And I don't think those outcomes justify how sort of brutal and horrible that plot point is, especially given that this is not the first time this kind of thing's happened to Deanna Troy, and it, it it just doesn't gel well with me at all. That it leaves a, a nasty taste. Well, I was just thinking that um, yeah. Well, I mean, I was wondering, yeah. waiting for you to mention uh, the Next Generation episode, which this is taken from, which is Violations, isn't it? Is it Violations? It's called. Uh, it happens in Violations. It happens in the Child. It happens in Power Play. It, this is not the first time Councillor Troy. Uh, Man of the People, Dark Page. Jeez. Um, so, yeah, you know, it, this has happened to Gianna a fair few times. And um, I, I just don't think 
See, this is something that has been kind of covered in the media a lot. Like, there was a big thing about Game of Thrones and uh, should we be allowed to use rape as a plot device and blah, blah, blah. And I think if it's handled right, I absolutely think you can if you're going to tell that story. But this isn't telling that story. It's used, as I said, to set up a fight and to overcome a problem later on in the film. And that's just not justification enough in my book to do this. Yeah, it's it's like she's been violated mentally and the um, distinguished between mental and sexual in it. Well, they deliberately, yeah, they deliberately draw the the correlation between that. And on a lighter note, though, um, regarding the sex scene, Jonathan Frakes refused to shave his back for that scene, so they had to CGI out his back hair. Well, well, (laughs) I don't think you can quite pivot between the the, the serious conversation we have and Riker's back hair. Can we just go back a second? Like, whoa, 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 whoa. That that pivoted so quickly it hurt my back. I I just... uh, to get back to the kind of more serious kind of conversation we were having about yes. what I'm with Troy, I, I, just, I was just going to add to that, that there is something to that that also in a, in a series of films, which there was a lot of comments, and I was one of them, those who made it, that they don't serve the female characters. Like the female characters sort of like just pop up for a scene here and there, and then they're just used as a plot point in a scene where she's meant to be me- mentally violated, if not physically raped, it, to use her in such a way when you're already underusing the female characters seems particularly gross to use that just as a plot point. Yeah, it's that's that is my stickling point with it is that invokes something that is potentially huge and has all sorts of psychological consequences that they have no intention whatsoever to unpack any of that. It is yeah. just there to drive the plot a little bit later on, and I really, really don't like it. it is, for me, it's a sour note in this film that I find it very, very difficult to get over. But I'll try not to <laughs> not to derail the whole thing by um, focusing on that. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Yeah. Now you may move on to Riker's back hair or whatever. Well, I just, you know, I, th- I, I want to give I've a more covered. of a sensitive ending to that bit first. <laughs> I think I've covered Riker's back hair in enough detail, right. as did the CGI, in fact. So. Yeah. <laughs> that was the early. Um, oh God, who was it? Oh, Henry Cavill's mustache in mustache in oh. uh, Superman First Family. You see, Star Trek did it first. And did it better. I would have never known that Freaks didn't have a thoroughly shaved back had I not been told. There you go. Um, a scene I really like later on is where, you know, when we get to the battle sequences, the kind of captain's log that Picard gives where he says, you know, like a thousand commanders on a thousand battlefields, I wait for the dawn. I think that's really cool. And I think it, it tries to evoke the sequence in Wrath of Khan you know, where they're loading the torpedo tubes and there's that naval feel to it all. And I think that's yeah. what they're going for in this preparing for battle sequence. And if you're going to rip off Wrath of Khan, I don't think it does a bad job. So I'm quite quite happy with that. Yeah. Um, well, people say that, that Nemesis is a rip-off of Wrath of Khan, and I just don't get it at all. No. I, 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 don't, I don't see, see that, that at all. No, no I think I've that's... So many times... And the closest I can think is that they have a battle, 
near a nebula or around a nebula. But that's it. I mean, the, yeah, the other that... thing is you've got a kind of lone villain who is uh, after vengeance on the captain, but for very different motivations. I, I, I yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I think it's a very um, thin case myself. Yeah, I don't, I don't see the correlation. Like people say, no, yeah. it's exactly the same, and no, it's not. If it was exactly the same, we'd be saying how great it was at the moment, yeah, yeah. and we're not doing so. <laughs> So then, yeah, there's the there's the battle sequence and everything, and you have Pika, uh, Riker fighting the guy and whatnot. I um, think the battle brilliantly done. I think the yeah. battle sequence, the space battle is awesome. And the ships I are think. really cool. The the scimitar shins on ships really good. The new Romulan warbirds that are these really big uh, bird-like things, I think they're really, really good. Um, the only bit, well... It kind of subverts it, but I don't like the bit where Picard says set the auto-destruct. So I'm like, oh, come on. You know, we've lost the Enterprise D in generations. We set the auto-destruct in first contact. We lost the warp core in insurrection. Don't blow up the ship again. But then the computer <laughs> chirps back. It's not working. So, Well, just quickly, sorry, I, you, you've just gone right past the, the, the ships with our ship expert here, uh, uh, Mr. Byers. Are there are there any notable ships in this one, Elliot? Um, you've you, you've said it already with the birds of prey. The Enterprise looks good. His ship looks good. The scimitar. I haven't seen a model of the scimitar. I'd love to get hold of one. Has Has anybody done uh, like a kit bash with the Enterprise rammed into the scimitar? That's like a diorama that you could make. I've seen a lot of. Uh, I've seen people who've done kit bashes of the Enterprise E with its front of the saucer all gone and broken off, and when it's reversed back out. Oh, that's pretty good. And, uh, there's some really good ones. Uh, have you got? Yeah. Have you got a kit for the little jeep yet? <laughs> no. <laughs> So I just think every time there's a ship mentioned, I want to hear Elliot's uh, little kind of uh, opinion on it. <laughs> every time there's a ship, we have to stop for Elliot's opinion on it. Well, that's that's my. I am build. I have got an Enterprise A sort of a third build. <laughs> nice. And um, oh, by the way, Elliot, if someone wanted to check out maybe some videos of your models, is there anywhere they could do that? Yeah, we on a. Uh... A YouTube channel, uh, Retrek Model Studios. So I'm doing a build on a case on Rager at the moment. Um, if it arrives in the post tomorrow, which I'm hoping, there'll be an unboxing of the Refit Enterprise Day. Um, Commodore James is off to be posting on these uh, Eagle Moss ships on there. Yeah. Which, again, I'm relying on the postman to deliver them, but we'll see if they ever turn up. So, yeah, and that the links to that are also on our Facebook page, um, which has a very long website title, but if you put in Retrek in your Facebook search bar, you'll find it as well. And with Ambassador Nicola absent, we, we may as well um, tell you about the other ways you can get in touch with us, which are on Twitter at RetrekPod which um, Nicola is in charge of and is doing a really good job with. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand it personally, but she seems to have it nailed. Uh, you can email us at um, retrekpod at gmail.com. And as I said, we are, we are on Facebook as well. 
and um, some people are starting to get engaged a bit on there, which is great. You know, it, you don't have to talk about the show if you want to just come on and tell us what you think about Star Trek. I put a post up earlier today, which will be last week by the time you hear this, but um, asking for your thoughts on season one of Discovery. So please do get in touch with us. We do read everything and we want to hear what everyone's got to say. So, James, is that how they engage with the show? That is how they engage with the show, in fact. So oh, you're proud of that one. I, 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 I'm building up bits. <laughs> I'm building up bits. <laughs> Sorry, back, back to the film, though. I, back, I, uh, back to Nemesis yeah, while yeah. we're here. Well, we're, we're more or less at the end in terms of uh, where we're moving through the plot. We finish with the, the scene. Oh, we haven't talked about Data, actually. How how do we feel the sacrifice of data goes? Because, well, I'll I'll get to my opinion on it. But um, Squee, what are your what are your thoughts on how that's handled? Uh, badly. I mean, there there. I think there's so many ways in which they handle data cheesily throughout these films. I I mean, by the end of it, I was actually a little bit annoyed with data. I'm sorry, just not. They they wrote him again. It was the same jokes over and over again about like. Uh, yeah. Oh, why don't we do this? Won't it? But you guys could have been affected by the nebula. This isn't the last film. You know, I'm the only one as an android who knows. Uh, you know yeah. what's going on, really. So, what do you think, Data? To hell with orders! And you know, he's always coming in with these little jokes, which were very uh, much along the same lines. And I, I just, I wanted something a lot more impactful. I wanted maybe, as opposed to him just pressing a button and exploding, and you know, I wanted a big fight to take him out. If you're gonna do that yeah it, to me it doesn't feel earned as a sacrifice yes like you know and again maybe this is where another comparison to wrath of khan comes but you know when spock goes to his death it's done with so much dignity uh yeah. so so much bravery and everything whereas this one it's it's kind of like data's going oh a main character needs to die now i'm gonna make it me off i go and well it, it it just feels like we're putting this in to try and get uh, to try and get a response out of the audience. And well, Brent Spinner had said that he wouldn't play the character anymore; that he was getting too old. Yeah, so he he'd been angling for this for a while, he, and yeah. he'd been angling for Data to be written out. It's, it is right what he said. He's playing an android. He's aging. The android doesn't age, so he was starting to look silly. He was getting his middle age spread, etc. Yeah, because I noticed that. It's weird that B4 has the same extra chin that Data <laughs> develops later on, you know. But Well, clear, um, clearly they, they had an idea that this might, you know, that, that uh, in the interviews, I remember Patrick Stewart specifically saying, uh, well, we want you to concentrate this as the beginning of the end of a generation's journey or whatever the tagline was to this. Yeah. And uh, I think the idea was that they might continue on. And I think that's why he won himself still written out, you know, if, in case they did, but it was like yeah. the cop out of having B4 there. So it's like, uh, ah, but you see, we got a spare data just in case we managed to sign a deal with Brent later. Yeah. And he starts like, uh, sort of alluded to earlier on, he starts humming the song at the end. And it's all, oh, maybe he's got data's memories and, um, it, and that's also something that jumped out at me this time, where earlier on in the film, Data says, I'm uploading you all of my memories. And it, what right do you have to do with that, Data, effectively? You're taking this new life form and going, you are going to have all my memories and personality, and they're going into you, and it's all, oh, hang on a second. Yeah, I'm overwriting you. 
yeah, I don't like that. You're treating it, they treat B4 as if he is a bit of property, which we've had all these great episodes that establish that Data absolutely isn't that. Yeah. And again, this is this thing of the writer's not done the homework and they don't get what this is about, you know. But as you say, they leave the door open there. You have this bit. You have Picard walking off down the corridor. And they should and have that's cut. that's it. Well, that should have been it. Don't they have another scene on the bridge? No, no, that's in the... Are you thinking of the one where... Maybe I'm looking uh, the extended edition. You, the, um, I think you're thinking of the deleted scene, deleted which scene. I think is a better ending, to be honest. But, oh, yeah, but yeah, this sorry, just yeah. feels... This just feels like, what, that's it? That's the end of the next generation, Picard walking yeah. down a corridor. I think yeah. you either need that scene which did get deleted or just a bit where uh, Picard does a captain's log to sum it all up. Exactly, yeah. I mean, the deleted yeah. scene is great cause it, it finishes with, he says, let's go to the blah, blah, blah system. And they say, you know, what's that system? And he says, it's a place, it's a place where no one has gone before. And, you know, that's a much better sign yeah. for the next gen crew but we don't get it you know well i think that we've all missed out on there what what actually happened to the enterprise when it gets smashed up that's it's only the second time ever they let diana drive <laughs> <laughs> just when i thought we'd got away from the sexism in these films no you're right <laughs> no you, you are right and again it's like to be fair She's doing it deliberately to beat the scimitar this time. <laughs> yeah, she's ordered to do it this time. <laughs> like you said, Squee, with the it, the beefing up the role for Troy in particular in this one, but the things they give her to do aren't necessarily complimentary. So, and I don't think it, it even beefs up her role uh, really. I think they did a much better job with her. Like she had a a a decent kind of few scenes in First Contact. I still think they could have made the female characters a bit more of a focus just somewhere in these films. But in this one, it's just like she's brought in when it's convenient to use as a plot device, but nothing for her. It's just for the plot. It kind of becomes the Picard and Data show, the next-gen films, and um, I'm not sure it's the stronger for it, really. No, no, I, I think this would be a nice one to maybe uh, cut back on the Data a lot, kind of cut out that beat. B four storyline and uh, maybe bring in yeah yeah bring in some female character you know the female characters let them have something to do in some of these films at least or one of them. Yeah, to be fair, I can hardly I can hardly remember Crusher from this movie. She does have one scene which is possibly my least favorite scene in the entire film, where she goes to see Picard and he's looking at the picture of him at the academy and it's Tom Hardy with a bald head. And it's this ridiculous idea that Picard's always been bald. Yeah. And we know that he had hair when he was at the Academy. And did they think that the audience is that stupid that if they have a picture of Tom Hardy with hair, we won't realise who it's meant to be? You know, it, it's baffling. Do they also do some prosthetics on Tom Hardy's face? I seem to, rem- I seem to remember oh, seeing yeah, that. Yeah. They've done his chin and his nose yeah, yeah. Um, to make him look more like Patrick Stewart, which, yeah. you know, I, I think that's fine. It's just this notion of, well, Picard's bald, so he must have been bald when he was a kid. No, that's not how hair loss works, mate, I'll tell you. <laughs> so, well, you are a, a hair loss expert. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so, um, Squee, any last thoughts on Nemesis? No, I think I've just, I, I think I said it before. So, no, <laughs> Elliot? <laughs> yeah, I think it's underrated. It's an, it's an enjoyable movie 
again, but it's not a great Trek movie. If you go into it wanting an action movie, it's good. Yeah, I think that may be fair. Uh, is it? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> we'll agree to definitely. Nice space battle. It's got a good Mad Max scene. Yeah, but that not that its problem? That it's just got a bit of everything. Just anyway, look, yeah. no, I said I was done. So <laughs> I'll shut up. It's like we say, the writers obviously hadn't done the homework on Star Trek. True. No, it's certainly been underrated by us anyway. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I think that wraps us up then for the next generation films. Next week we're going to be doing a retrospective on season one of Discovery yes. because Discovery season two starts the week after, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, but for yeah, this really episode, good. then, thank you to Captain Squee and Admiral Elliot. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for listening to us on Krypton Radio. Or again, if you've downloaded us as a podcast, thank you very much for listening. We will see you next time. Thank you for trekking with us this week. We'll catch you next week on The Retrek. <laughs>